Good evening, everyone. Welcome. I had written to Gorangi. I said she wanted to know what to call the talk, and I said, call it Brain Dead Bhakti. So that's what we're going to talk about. Brain Dead Bhakti. You might think that you have that, and it's a problem, but you need to get it, and it's the solution. So it's a funny religion that we have here. But uh, I want to speak about it in the context of the uh, Ramananda Sambhad conversation between Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Rai Ramananda that we find in Chaitanya Charitamrita. I've just gone through this with the devotees at our monastery, Audarya, Northern California, about a month's worth of talks going through the whole Ramananda Sambhad. And in the course of doing so, I thought maybe I'll write a commentary on that sacred conversation. And um, as I say, when she had asked me, I didn't know what, my brain became dead, so I thought, well, I'm brain dead bhakti. And there's a verse, of course, that corresponds with that, more or less. So here we are. Then in the midst of the Ramananda Sambhada, very um, important section of the Chaitanya Charitamrita, where the uh, the essence of the whole book is brought out. What uh, Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami wants to say in through the whole work, what the point that he wants to make in one sense. You may know that earlier on in his Mangalacharan he gives his um, Vastunidesh Shlok, the Shlok that says what the book's about, and it's about that in essence, in Tattva, that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna, more than that of course, that he's Radha and Krishna combined. This is the teaching of the Goswamis. This is their experience of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And no one more than Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami was commissioned by them to bring that out to the common people. Therefore, it's written in, in Bangla. Although about 10% in Sanskrit, this chapter happens to be more like about 60 or 70% Sanskrit because it's mostly citing different... Uh, different verses from sacred literature that speak about different ideals, religious, spiritual ideals that one might pursue, one might, one might attain. And so while it comes to the point of the revelation, direct revelation of darshan that Ramananda Roy had of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu being Radha and Krishna combined, it takes us there in a wonderful way and in such a way that it can be understood by a thoughtful reader that not only is the book Chaitanya Charitamrita the distilled essence of the Bhagavatam, but this chapter is the distilled essence of the Chaitanya Charitamrita, which makes it the distilled essence of the distilled essence of the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is basically a description of all uh, religious uh, and spiritual possibilities and speaking about them in such a way as to directly or indirectly lay stress on the ideal. The Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to make known the highest ideal, the brain love of Radha for Krishna. This is what Bhagavatam is about. So this is, in a sense, the, the very condensed form of Srimad Bhagavatam, as it should be. All the Goswamis are, they're, all their grant, all their books are playing off Bhagavatam. This is the heart of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, an important section worthy of serious uh, discussion and consideration and uh, 
let me speak a little bit about it in the context of this uh, one verse that Mahabhu liked that uh, Ramananda Roy cited that he found was coming in the in the direction of where he was going or looking to look at this of course from the point of view of feeling will be most compelling for us I believe that means to look at although Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is revealed, he reveals himself in this text as being Swayam Bhagavan, as being Radha and Krishna combined. At the same time, it's very much about his life as a devotee, which is Krishna as a devotee, pursuing love of God, pursuing love of Radha. That's very compelling for us. He teaches us by his example, his, his Acharya Leela. So here we see, of course, that he's the student and Rai Ramananda is the teacher. How he came to come under the tutelage of Ramananda was, of course, that he was in Puri as a young sannyasi and he had converted Bhattacharya Sarvabhoma. No small affair because Bhattacharya Sarvabhoma was perhaps the most learned man in India. Even now in the world history and encyclopedia, you can find the name of Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya as a one of the leading thinkers in Indian history, logic and mathematics and so forth. There's one person who was more learned and that was his student, Raghunath. And you know the story about that, of course, that uh, Sarvabhoma had hailed originally from Nadia, but Nadia wasn't the seat of learning that it came to be. The seat of learning in India at the time was Mithila, and there they had developed the Nabhanyaya, the new form of logic, the Prachin Nyaya, the old school had been replaced by a new school, and there was a, a sacred text, now the name escapes my memory at the moment, but it was kept there, and this was the basis of that Nabhanyaya. It was kept in Mithila because students would come there to learn, and they weren't given copies of it for fear that they would take the copy and bring it to their home, and that hometown might become more famous as a place of learning than Mithila, but, but the Chajasarva went there and learned, and he memorized the book, and he took it to Nadia, and Nadia, by the influence of Sarvabhoma, displaced Mithila as the capital of, of learning. So this is the kind of person that uh, he was, an elderly, and he knew the, the um, parents of Mahaprabhu, Jagannath Mishra in particular, and his grandfather. His father was a friend of um, Mahaprabhu's father and of course he spoke highly of his son and was the father of Mahaprabhu so he had a family relationship with Mahaprabhu which made him naturally affectionately disposed towards him aside from his beauty and charm and so forth and he wanted to help him seeing him as a young he's only just turned 25 he's a young young man and done such a serious thing as to take sannyas and uh, Sarvabhama thought to strengthen his logic and, and of course he came to a new kind of new new logic. He was, as I was saying, a very um, a deep uh, deep thinker, most learned. His disciple Raghunath was said to be more learned but I don't think Sarvabhama knew about it at the time but there was occasion in Navadweep when Raghunath Shiramani was crossing the Ganges with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu 
and Mahaprabhu was reading a small book, and uh, Raghunath asked, what is the book that you're reading? He says, oh, it's a little book I've written on logic. So Raghunath asked for it, this is the disciple of Sarvabhoma from Mahaprabhu, he might bond it, and then when he read it, he began to cry. And Mahaprabhu said, why are you crying? He said, well, because I had a desire to be the most learned person in India, the champion of logic. And I was writing a book to that effect. But as I read your book, I realized it's, there's no hope for me. So Mahaprabhu said, oh, I'm sorry, give me the book back. And then he took it and threw it in the Ganges. Hmm? So Sarvama maybe didn't know <laughs> that Mahaprabhu was already more uh, logical and intelligent and so forth and whatnot, then well-schooled, and then, then his own disciple who had surpassed him and became world-renowned. But out of affection anyway, Sarvabhama wanted to teach him in Mahabrabhu, although that, was, that idea was not acceptable to Gopinath, to other devotees, the brother-in-law of Sarvabhama. You can't teach him. He's Bhagavan. Mahabhu consistently took the position of a bhakta. and said, why, why, why find fault? He just wants to help me. So let me learn from him. And of course, in the context of learning from him, Sarvabhama learned something. Mahabhu showed such interest in learning <laughs> That, um, and he taught something to Sarvabhoma. This is something about bhakti, the openness. Not the idea that I know everything, that there may be more to know, that I'm, I'm lacking, I'm, I'm deficient. This is how bhakti is sometimes measured, the extent to which some sense of, in the language of Pujapachitamur's negativity is within one. I don't mean it, it doesn't mean it in a derogatory way, but I'm lacking, I'm without, I'm in need, I'm in, I have a necessity. This means progress in bhakti and the extent to which we feel I'm full, I'm satisfied. Once we were sitting with Pujapadshita Maharaj in his veranda and he gave a wonderful burst of bhakti and one of the devotees said, Guru Maharaj, we're, after that we are completely satisfied, completely satisfied. And he turned and said, completely? Is it? Is it possible? Well, then he offered his respects to that devotee. I have not achieve such. They can be completely. <laughs> is it possible? <laughs> so, this is the bhakti idea. Mahaprabhu showed something like this. Anyway, he converted Sarvabhoma. But nonetheless, he considered Sarvabhoma his teacher. So, such a sense of regard pervaded the life of Mahaprabhu and pervades the life of a, of a devotee. We're so quick to discard somebody because he or she doesn't know much or now I know more than them or but how we got there, they may have been part of that, and they had a role to play, and, and so on. We should be more broad-minded. Mahaprabhu took Siksha from Sarvabhoma. He considered him his Siksha Guru. And when he was leaving for the South, leaving for the South, then Sarvabhoma said to him, One thing I please, I have a request of you. Mahaprabhu said, Yes. You're my Guru. What is your request? My request is that upon going South, you please meet this one fellow. Rai Ramananda. Previously I knew him and I used to make fun of him, calling him a Vaishnav. And I could never understand what he was talking about. But now, having met you and being influenced by you to the extent that I am, I can understand that you and he, he and you have something in common. If you meet him and you discuss with him, you'll be on the same, you're up beyond the same page. You'll find somebody whose company is Swajatiya. 
is uh, like-minded and, and, and favorable, thinking himself, as he was, to be just a new convert. The topics that he will discuss with Rai Ramananda are not the topics that Mahaprabhu discussed with Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya. The topics that Mahaprabhu discussed with Ramananda Roy were topics that Ramananda Roy found no one he could discuss them with. Even the most learned person in India, the point being Sarvabhoma couldn't understand him. He said, it sounds like you're just, you know, it doesn't make any sense what you're talking about. So, what was Ramananda to do? That's why he kind of kept himself the way he did. <laughs> Mahaprabhu went south, he crossed the Godavari, took a bath on the other side as an aesthetic, as an aesthetic, a, a, a sannyasin, and along came Ramananda Roy, dressed like a fancy man, and there were drums playing and horns, and he was carried on a palanquin. And what was the event? He was taking a bath. <laughs> so, <laughs> he said, you know, he, can't, he couldn't talk to anybody what he's about. Nobody had an ear for that, an interest in that, a capacity to understand. So he just carried on like a worldly person, kept his madness to himself. And there he saw Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the young sannyasi. He was attracted. Mahaprabhu could understand, oh, this must be Ramananda, because he was a government uh, official. There was like a governor in that part. So they they saw one another and they approached, and Mahaprabhu embraced him, and he embraced Mahaprabhu and they began to manifest Satvika Bhava, ecstasies, and people standing around couldn't understand. They, they crossed over, first of all, the social norms of the time. This was kind of inappropriate. What is a sannyasi embracing a sudra who's a governor and a worldly man? This doesn't make any sense. Mahaprabhu, of course, had a different idea. Kiva Say Guru Hai, this you should understand. Wherever you can get it, there you should go. There's no rules. Go there. Take it. That's the rule. Whoever has Krishna Tattva, then get that association. Regardless of what group he may come from, or group he may not come from, or she may come from, or family, or Varna. Ashram, Kiva Vipra, Kiva Nashi, Shudra, Kenenai, Ye Krishna Tattva Guru Wherever it is, go, take it. That's the rule. That's the law. That's the substance of all the rules. That should be followed. Mahaprabhu showed this example. This, he had Diksha Guru, he had his Sanyasa Guru, he had a Siksha Guru. Ishwar Puri, Keshav Bharti, Sarvam Bhattacharya. And this was his then. Ragmarg Guru, this uh, Rai Ramananda, and who would have thought? Sannyasi would have been taught by a sudra, ostensibly by a worldly man. What would he learn from him? Mahaprabhu, like a student, took shelter of Ramananda. He told him, I've been looking for you because I was instructed by my guru Sarvabhoma to find you out and seek your association. So he's coming to him like in a, in a mood of a of a student, and he has something in his heart, something that's developing that's pretty much unknown and unheard of. Something that he came to give, yes, 
but it's also something that he came to find, to taste, to experience, and the result of which would be the giving, the overflowing. The giving of something that's its not the general uh, fair, it's not uh, widely available, it's, it's private, secret, confidential. But the very nature of it being such confidential, so confidential that, that Swayam Bhagavan has to search it out. Radha's love, what is the nature of this? He's searching out himself, what he's like, as experienced from her perspective, this kind of thing. This is, as I say, not the common standard spiritual fare that's given out anywhere and everywhere. So Mahaprabhu was, is coming to taste it, to experience it, and the result of that is that it's it's, it's kind of a madness, so it's going out, overflowing, going other places, spreading all over. And so he's trying to find it, and just like you feel in your heart, what happens? You feel, have some feelings about life, and then you hear from a sadhu, and she speaks in such a way that it confirms the things that you were thinking about and feeling about, but you couldn't quite articulate she said it or he said it better than I could say it. And, and so that person knows my heart. They're not different from me. That person knows my heart. He or she is a manifestation of, of my heart developed, my heart's prospect coming out. This is the idea of guru. That kind of feeling, not some external oppression and you know it's said in the Upanishads one must accept a guru tasm what is that verse? Yes, is that it? One must accept a guru. So the this it sounds like a law. Oh God, I better find a guru. It's a, it's a, I better or I'll be breaking the law. But the spirit of it is more I must I must accept take shelter here because I'd be crazy not to. My interest, my own, my own heart has come before me, uh, and it's it's being voiced in a way that I haven't been able to voice it. But but it's not unfamiliar entirely. It's not a new thing or an artificial imposition. It's like going home, like going home, home knowing. Person is required for home going. When they speak, as I said before, then they will they say touch home, hit home. Home is in the heart. And it's very, this is a very extraordinary thing. It's coming before me. So Mahabharata's got some feeling in his heart. He's been practicing. Something is coming from that. He's chanted, he's danced, he's gone mad, he's taken sannyas and his madness and run towards Vrindavan, only to be tricked by Nityananda and taken back to Shantipur to take his mother's advice as a sannyasi. <laughs> Mother knows best, she said, go to Puri. And there he went, some preaching activity, converting Sarvabhoma, and now he's going south and he's stopping, following the advice of Sarvabhoma to hear from Ramananda, and he's hoping he's going to hear something. Sarvabhoma has perked his curiosity. He's going to meet someone who's like on the same page with him that can help him more than Sarvabhoma could in terms of pursuing his ideal. And indeed, we find in the text that Ramananda equips him to go south. When he he hears this, he knows he'll never be converted to anything else. This is the idea of this chapter. Through going south to preach, 
for purifying the heart, doing namsan kirtan. But we should know what the goal is in doing so. That's why, in one sense, this chapter is here, because the sadhya shiromani is given. And when you hear it, if you understand it, then <laughs> when you go preach, you'll meet other people, other ideas, and you have to confront and discuss with them and so forth. And, and so on. Mahaprabhu will meet with the, this one and that group and this sect and that sect. He will never be converted because of what he heard here. Such a high ideal. Years ago, you know, Sripada Chitananda Maharaj, a sannyasi uh, disciple of Srila Prabhupada, had, uh, with the blessings of Srila Prabhupada, take shelter at the Chaitanya Sarasat Mahat, Chaitanya Sarasat Mahat, which where he got uh, siksha from him for quite a while, a number of months while Prabhupada was away from India and Achyutananda Maharaj was there alone. He, he wanted this, he felt he needed the association of a siksha guru, so Prabhupada recommended him, my God, would be our Sridhar Maharaj of Navadvip. So they knew one another and he heard from Sridhar Maharaj so many wonderful things. And as a result, he was a very unique uh, speaker in uh, in the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, classes were coveted to, to hear them. He had some, sometimes a unique perspective. So that kind of perspective that Prabhupada wanted us to to have also, encouraging Sridhar as he did to share it with us repeatedly and so forth. So at any rate, years went by and um, yeah, Prabhupada left the world and, and uh, devotees went in different directions and so forth. And at... Um, Chutananda Marsha wrote a book called Autobiography of a Jewish Yogi. He sent me a copy to see if we would have wanted to publish it. You know, there's a famous book, Autobiography of a Yogi, and anything Jewish, you know, Jewish this or that, will, you know, sell a lot of books, at least to, uh, well, to a lot of people. So this was, it was a catchy idea, and he was going to tell his story of going to India and living for years, and so on and so forth. So the news came to Shudamarsh, but he heard it in such a way that it sounded like a Chitananda has become a Jewish yogi. So he, he just couldn't, he thought, Chitananda has become a Jewish yogi? He knows about the brain biogen? How can this be possible? I cannot believe it. Then he said, no, no, then that's not like that. <laughs> but he's, you know, he's, so this is the idea, the point I'm making. If you hear this, really, and that means to hear it from a real devotee, as Mahabrabhu is hearing it from Ramananda, Ramananda knows what he's talking about here. It's not some theory. He knows about it, and there's nobody he can talk to about it, practically. And when Mahabrabhu hears it, then he's fully equipped. This is one of the implications of this chapter. He can go to the South now, he can preach. Yes, okay. Sarvabhava wanted to fortify him so that he would not forego the sannyas as a young man and by logic and Vedanta and so forth. So he tried to give Mahaprabhu Vedanta to strengthen his logic and what happened? Sarvabhama became converted to the madness of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the bhakti of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This dry Vedanta, that won't hold you. But what he gets from Ramananda, that is fortifying. He gave some of that to Sarvabhama. Then he got an installment from Ramananda. So generous. Now he's prepared to go. So we will be prepared to go anywhere and everywhere and never deviate one iota from, from this conception if we hear properly. 
what Mahaprabhu was hearing from Rai Ramana, so an important section. Mahaprabhu again, in the Bhava Bhakta, submits himself to Ramana, and Ramana, and he asks Ramananda, so, what is the highest goal of life? What is the highest ideal? In two sections to the chapter, what is the highest ideal, and what is the means to attain it? And then it's followed by a few auxiliary uh, you know, questions, and then the darshan of Militatanu, Mahabhav, Rasaraj, Duyekarup, these two, Mahabhav, Radha, Rasaraj, Krishna, these two in a group, in one form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So until the end, when he shows himself to be Svayam Bhagavan, he's in the bhava of bhakta, of a devotee throughout. Even when Ramananda tries to press him, you're saying the things in my heart that I'm saying to you. All the credit goes to you. You're glorifying for me for what I'm saying, but no, it's you. Mahaprabhu was deflecting it constantly. Even in the end, he says, I'm seeing you as, a, as I'm seeing Radha, I'm seeing Krishna, what's going on? So, you're a devotee. You see them everywhere. That's, that's, that's understood. But in the end, of course, he does. He shows himself as Bhagavan, and that's in one sense, as I say, the, the zenith of the thing. It's been revealed in the context of the Leela, all this theory. This is what he wants to say. But as he asks the question, what is the goal of life? Ramananda has to tread a little bit carefully because, as I've said, he has found no one that he can share his cherished ideal with. No one can really understand it. It turns the religious world on its head. It finds the supreme absolute truth hiding in the bushes, searching the bushes, trying to find Radha. This is like, what? This is troublesome for, for most people. <laughs> it would be troublesome in Vaikuntha if Narayan was like henpecked by, by Lakshmi and showed that. That can't be shown there. They, they will think, what is this? Like I've told them, Narayan is everything. So that's not exactly our, our teaching. But Ramana was, he can't, he didn't know. Here's a sannyasi. What's he going to tell him? He has some sense, he's special and all, but so he has to start out a little carefully. He says, well, the goal of life is follow the Varnashram. In this way, you, you do some kind of Vishnu Bhakti, much as Vishnu is pleased. That's the essence of Bhakti, and Mahaprabhu is not satisfied with that. So it, as they go on, back and forth, Ramananda starts to see, oh, he's, okay, he's, he's not that low, he's, he's not, oh, he's on the, then all of a sudden it reaches a pitch where they know they're on the same page. Ramana knows he can share everything, he can say it all, he can come out with it. Indeed, Mahabharata will draw things out from him that he himself kind of wondered about and within and so forth, but without sharing it and discussing it, sometimes it's hard to be sure. Therefore, sadhusanga bodhayantas parasparam to shanticha Ramanticha, this is uh, required. So here, the, this is what they're doing. What I am Tusparasparam Tusyanticha Ramanticha. This is the real heart of, of the Gita. There's no better example of that than this. And as I say, at a certain point, they realize, Ramananda realizes, well, I'm on the same page with him. And Mahapur was realizing, this is why Sarvoma sent me here. And he reveals it. Sarvoma sent me here. Oh, I see. That's what this is about. So, 
then they go more or less they, they go they go mad together and Mahaprabhu says I'm a madman you're a madman we can talk about these things at a certain point even in this Mahaprabhu covers his mouth says don't say anything more he reaches Mahabhav and Mahaprabhu covers his mouth don't say anymore more little more could have been said going within Mahabhav he reaches Adirudha Mahabhav Mahaprabhu stops him and says this is like this should not be told everywhere <laughs> anybody and everybody. And this is the kind of thing, of course, that Mahabharata was giving to the world as a byproduct of his own searching for it. It's like we take advantage of the madness of Mahaprabhu. This is the Achilles heel of the Absolute. You find him in his weak point and then, you know, kick him when he's down, something like that. <laughs> he's down now. He's like mad. He's, he's uh, searching what is it about love that Radha knows, experiences, that I'm the king of love, I don't have it, what, what to do? He's desperate, he's in need. So again, to be in need, not a bad thing, it's a sign of good health when it comes to spiritual life. When we think we know it all, then it's a problem. Pujapadshita Maharaj used to say we are all students forever, such is the nature of the subject. It's comforting to know that. So, at any rate, Mahabhu They've come here, the verse we want to discuss in brief after this long introduction, to being on the same page. So many external things have been described. Varnashram, Karmarpanam, Gyanmishrabhakti, Dharmatyag, and, uh, and so forth. And now he says what? He quotes a nice verse. From Mahaprabhu says, say more. Say, this is external. This is external. This is external. You haven't said anything spiritual yet, in my estimation. So then he quotes this verse from Lord Brahma. Nice verse. You know that Brahma's um, the Brahma Vimohana Lila, where Brahma seeks to uh, play a trick on Krishna and he becomes bewildered himself. Brahma Vimohan, not just Mohan, but Vimohan. Very bewildered he becomes. All four heads become, start spinning. He sees what? He sees, it's an example, this Leela, that tells us that it's one of the reasons, for example, why Rupa Goswami teaches us that Vrindavan is Purnottara, most perfect. We hear that Krishna in Dwarka is perfect. Krishna in Mathura is more perfect. And Krishna in Vrindavan is most perfect, or most complete. Complete, more complete, most complete. So he's most complete in terms of Aishvarya, in terms of Madhurja, in terms of Gripa, mercy. This is an example Rupa Goswami gives of his completeness in terms of Aishvarya. We don't maybe think of it like this, but it's important to note it. There's more Aishvarya in, in Vrindavan than anywhere else. We think there's more sweetness, and there is. But the background of that is the Aishvarya, and this is the example. We know that from Narayan, innumerable universes come. And here in this Leela, Krishna showed that innumerable Narayans come from him. Well, to speak of universes, innumerable Narayans, from whom innumerable universes Anyway, Brahma saw this. It was extraordinary. Seeing this, 
display of Aishvarya, then all of a sudden, the whole thing disappeared. And just Krishna standing there with the lump of yogurt and rice in his left hand, standing there with his buffalo horn and his stick and dark cloud-like complexion, lightning-like garments, silver electric aura, but everything's still and peaceful and, uh, and Brahma's pages, Dandavat Pranaman begins to speak, glorifying the form of Krishna. And Krishna just remains silent the whole time. In this Leela that covers three chapters, we find what? We find in the narrative, in the Leela, the point is made, the point of tattva that the Bhagavatam revolves around is made in the context of the Leela. What is that point of tattva that the Bhagavatam revolves around? What is the Paribhas Sutra, the key to understanding the whole Bhagavat? Jiva Goswami says what? Say it if you know it. Krishna's to Bhagavan Sayam. The Krishna is Sayam Bhagavan. It's a revolutionary point. At any rate, in the Leela, in the context of the Leela, this is shown. There's a theory, the teaching, and so forth. Now in the Leela, it's demonstrated because, after all, as I say, innumerable Narayans are coming from him. Brahma realizes it, and Brahma makes the point in his prayers. All the Gaudiya Siddhantas found in that 14th chapter of Bhagavatam, Brahma's prayers, the last chapter in the Brahma Vimohan Leela. The prayer that here that's cited, that Mahaprabhu likes, cited by Ramananda Roy, is the third verse there. And as I say, it begins that chapter, Brahma's prayers, glorifying the form of Krishna. How extraordinary it is. And Brahma wants to say that this form is so extraordinary that it's no matter how much I could have tried to think about it. I tried to think about it with four heads. I saw now Brahma's with millions of heads emanating from millions of Narayans, all of whom are emanating from you. And I can understand that your form is beyond the grasp of their intellect. There's no endeavor that anyone can make by which they can understand your form, your person, who you are. So he says what? Jnane prayasya udapasya namanteva jivanti san mukharitam bhavadiya vartam sthane sita shutikatam Tanuman manobi jit prayasu jitititopi asitais trilokyam. So Mahaprabhu had just heard from Ramananda the idea that, well, the goal of life is gyan misha bhakti, bhakti mixed with gyan. This could mean a number of things. Anywhere from, on the low end, doing bhakti to attain brahmasayuja. Doing bhakti to retire bhakti and merge in, in Brahman, where there's no scope for any bhakti. That's the low end. And the high end is what? Bhakti that is motivated, to some extent, by knowledge of the godhood of Godhead. So all these things are laid aside here. It's a huge jump. In other words, He's jumped over by Kunta even here. He's going through a gradation of spiritual possibilities and, and sadhyas, attainments, ideals. Practically speaking, we see here he's, he skips by Kunta. 
because he's realized here, oh, I'm with somebody, Ramananda that is, who I can I can talk to here. So he's been clearing the way here. Oh, Varnashram, Karmarpanam, Gan, Mishra Bhakti. So he tries it out. This is about brain. And brain means Brajabhakti. That's what it means. I've said it before. There's one place in the Goswami's writings that the love of God in Vaikuntha is called Prem. In Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu we find it. But even those who, att- who pursue that don't call it Prem. What's the ideal of Ramanuja Sampradaya? This is a Vaidhi Bhakti Sampradaya. What's the ideal of the uh, Madhva Sampradaya? It Mukti. Yes, devotional conception of Mukti and it does arrive at Shanta, Dasya, which is love of God, but it's so incomplete in terms of the our own experience of all that love involves and all the possibilities of love that it's it's just like your you know Greek idea from arrows to agape and there's no like super eros or something like that. It's reverential love of God only. Whereas in Golok, in Brajalok, then the whole full-fledged idea of love has expression. Yes, there's Dasya Bhakti there, but as I said this morning, what is the Dasya Bhakti of, of Vrindavan? Don't think that the Dasya Bhakti of Vrindavan is Bhakti in awe and reverence. It means that there are servants. Like Nanda Maharaj, he's a king of the cowards, so he has servants in his house. Some boys are, have servant roles, so they do service. They carry the shoes, they do this, do that, but they're not thinking of Krishna in on reverence. It's not that kind of dasya. Shanta is not even mentioned. Mahaprabhu Charibhav came to give. That constitutes braj. Dasya Sakya Vatsalya Madhurja. It's all Madhurja. But one of them is Madhurya Madhurya. <laughs> sweet to the sweet. Uh, and this is the furthest reach, of course, of Mahaprabhu's pursuit. So, it's generous of Rupa Goswami. He says, yes, there's a bhav in the preem of Vaikuntha. But for the most part, this word preem, this is a Gaudiya word. This is preem prayojan. You don't find it anywhere. What did he say? He said, it's like dharma, artha, kama, moksha. Purushartha, four goals of life. Dharma, artha, kama, moksha. Then different interpretations of moksha, like Yashankar's interpretation and Ramanuja's interpretation, Madhva's interpretation, which are devotional interpretations and so forth. But Prem, Prem Prayojan, this is the Gaudiya idea. Prem Prayojan. And it says, to emphasize its point, it says, Mukti is nothing. Nothing. This is a byproduct of Prem. We have no interest in it. Interest in that is most detrimental to the ideal. So, Ramananda, as I say, he realizes he's getting close to the heart of Mahaprabhu. He's skipping over the whole of Vaikuntha. This is about Prem, Prem Bhakti. And this means, this is about Braj, Ajita Jitopi, as he tries to become. Jita Jito. The Ajita becomes Jita. The unconquerable becomes conquered. This is Krishna. What it means, Yashoda Nandan, Nandanandan. Subal Saka. This is what it means. He's completely put himself in the hands of his devotees 
do what you like with me, I'm yours, I'm purchased. The whole of Braj, this is what it means. They're likely to take some putty in your hand and you make whatever you want out of it. The absolute is in the fist of their hand. And the verse is saying here, you, what? you cannot put him in the fist of your hand, Brahma is saying. I cannot capture him with four heads, thinking about him, making any prayasya, any endeavor, jnane prash, especially, this is nowhere. <laughs> you can't get anywhere by that. Hmm? Karma prayash, gyan prayash, it means endeavor. Bhakti isn't effortless effort. There's no endeavor. Stanestita, you don't have to go anywhere. Karma means you try to go somewhere. Right? Heaven, better house, better job, move up the ladder, the social ladder. You're trying to go somewhere. And gyan means trying to go somewhere too, trying to get out of here. Both are trying to go somewhere. And neither one takes you anywhere. <laughs> Both are centered on the world, exploiting it, getting away from it. Because it's world-centered, material world-centered in that respect, there's no release from the material world by that endeavor. Therefore, that endeavor, and especially the endeavor of Gyan, is being underscored here in this verse, which looks like it should be fruitful in terms of affording freedom and uh, salvation and so forth. No. After this verse, Brahma says another verse. He says, to emphasize his point, he says, that endeavor is like what? It's like beating the husk of a, an, empty, an empty husk of rice. There's nothing there. You made all this effort, but you're not going to get any rice from that. Nothing. So these are efforts to go somewhere, the result of which is you go nowhere. And bhakti is an effort to go nowhere, the result of which is that I guess you go somewhere, or everything comes to you. <laughs> he says, stane stita. It means you don't have to change your social position. You don't have to move through the varnashram and become sannyasi and renounce and or anything like that. You stay exactly where you are and make no effort. No effort. Whether physical effort, intellectual, mental effort for knowing and going. It's completely otherworldly bhakti. This is why Mahabharata says, yeah, I like that. Now we're getting somewhere. This is spiritual. This is internal. What you're talking about, this is shunya bhakti, brain-dead bhakti. No, we're accustomed to reliance upon our sensual uh, movements for, for knowing and our intellectual exercise for knowing. This is our, our attempt to control the situation, to bring life under control. And the point of this verse is it's not under your control. It can't be controlled, and that's the good news. It's Krishna dancing. It's lila, lila moe. Ananda, it's love. We carry this with us into bhakti. We, we should know bhakti is anukulyena krishna anushilana bhakti rutamagyan karmadi anabritam. But we carry jnana and karma with us into bhakti. The idea is to retire the desires for such, but it's not going to happen overnight. So the tendency will be then to develop a, a, a bhakti, a, a jnana idea of bhakti or a a karma idea of bhakti. Like you want to talk about rules, you know, the karma idea of bhakti. In karma marg, everything is rules. That's what it is. It's all rules. There's no love in it whatsoever. 
It's a childish idea of God, karma mark. Why is it childish? Because most of you have had children, you know. Or you've been children, all of us. Child wants, give me this, give me that. Give me, give me, give me, give me. So karma mark is a childish conception of God where you just want to take. And so we get all these rules to follow, and there's no love in that. You follow all the rules, you do it right, you teach your children, okay, you want that, okay, do this, don't do that, okay, here's your prize. Very good. And the childish religious person is, is to learn something. The fruit of all of that is not what you get, but that by following the rules, life works. By conforming to God, to doing it the way somebody else wants, rather than just whatever I want. There's authority, there's daivanatrena, there's a godly factor. You come within that, and it works in terms of what you want, so you get faith in it. If you do all the karmic thing exactly right, you get the result. You do one thing wrong, even just mispronounce the mantra, no result. All this emphasis, pay attention, follow the rule, then you get your candy. What you, what you get beyond that is you get faith in the rules, and then... And then hopefully you grow within that and you look, at, look more deeply into Scripture and what it's about. Because you follow the whole thing out and you see, yeah, I could do this and that and I can go all the way to heaven. Well, do that a few times and then, then you think, well, I've gone there, I've come back. At least that's what the book says. I go there, I come back. What am I going to do this for? Can I keep doing this? Go there, come back, go there. Start over again. I'm getting nowhere. And so from Dharma Jignashu to Gyan Jignashu, inquiring to Brahman, go beyond the three worlds, find myself, and, and so forth. Some rules there, too. Not as much. You're relieved of so many rules. Some substance there. But we go to the bhakti, especially the braj-bhakti side. No rules, all feeling, all bhava, all... They're doing it all wrong from the Vaikuntha perspective. They're worshipping him all wrong. Don't do it like that. There's even the story of Sanatana who was in the braj, and he, you know, he maybe know the story, he was doing parikram or something like that, he met one lady and she was cooking a kitri, sudra lady, and there were two beautiful young boys who were waiting for her meal, their meal, and she was brushing her teeth with a stick and then taking it out and stirring the kitri and brushing her teeth and so I said, oh, that's a little class lady and nice boys though. And he was attracted to them and so they, they ate their kitri, they left and he followed them. He's watching this, he followed them. They went into a temple of Bhagavan, and they entered into the deities. He said, oh, it's Krishna and Balaram. He had a darshan of Krishna and Balaram. So he went back the next morning, he told that lady, don't do that, don't cook like that, don't cook with, you know, brush your teeth with the same thing, you, you stir the kitri, don't do that, that's not the way to do it. She said, okay, okay, Sadhu's telling me, so I'm learning the rule. So she's taking, and it's taking a long time, and the two boys are sitting there, and they become uptight. So we're waiting for a long time. Why do you have to do it like that? We're hungry, we're hungry. I guess the second day is the day he followed them and he realized who they were. Well, his first day he realized who they were, I should say, and then the second day he realized who they were also, who she was, I should say. So he told her that, you know, you're just an ordinary person. You can't worship Bhagavan like that. You have to first, you know, brush your teeth and then come clean. And then. So she was taking all that time and the boys were becoming upset. And he said, no, do it the other way. That's the essence. If Hari's pleased, then... That's all that matters. If you can please Hari, if you can love God, then you follow all the rules. 
That's why you don't have to follow all the rules if you love God. You might set an example for others, but they have a purpose to them. They're not the be-all and end-all in and of themselves. This applies to Dharma, all the rules of the Dharma Shastra and so forth. When you come to Bhakti, it's therefore Sarvadharma and Pritjaja. You reject all that, and now you're in Bhakti Marg. But it also applies to Bhakti Marg and all the rules. Therefore, there's Niyamagraha. Right? You think the rules are the end. No, <laughs> the rules aren't the end. I'm not advocating that you don't follow rules here. <laughs> don't get me wrong. But in rule following, there's no love. And in love, there's no rules. That's the fact. And that's what Mahaprabhu was teaching. That's what his ideal is. So it looks like in Braj, they're doing it all wrong. Well, that's not how you worship Bhagwan. From Vaikuntha, that's not how they... They haven't learned it like that. It looks like they're doing it all wrong. But no. He's deriving such pleasure from that. They are so selfless and surrendered that he's placed himself in their hands to do with as they like. You want me as a son? I'm a son. You want me as a friend? I'm your friend. You want me as your lover? I'll be your lover. Such a thing is possible. This is Ajita Jitopi. The Ajita becomes Jita. The unconquerable becomes conquered. By this, by no effort. No effort means no Gyan Prayasha. No karma prayasha. There's no effort in bhakti. Eh, we call it little effort. Effort to hear about Krishna. Effort to chant about Krishna. Effort to get good company. Good association. To posture yourself in such a way that you'll draw the sympathy from above, from the devotees, real devotees, from Bhagwan. This is the effort. It's like, an, like I say, effortless effort. And this... Ideal. It's a little bit of a Abhideya and Prayojan shloka together. It's being cited as, as ideal, but it also speaks to us about the, the means. And as I say, it speaks to us about the frame of Braj Bhakti. It's brain dead bhakti. These people have really, in a sense, stopped thinking stopped intellectualizing. Brahma, again, he's got the four heads. He's saying, this is, I've thought it out from every angle and this is, there's no way to understand your form. But by this, doing nothing, staying in this position, shutigatam tanuvan manobir, hearing about you, your form, your pastimes, tan mano, with body, mind, and words, serving you with my body, mind, and words, satisfying your body, mind and words. Your body, mind and words become at my disposal, something like that. He said, this is, this Mahaprabhu liked. Gyan Shunya Bhakti. It comes to this pitch. No sense that Bhagavan Sri Krishna is, is Bhagavan. Here, the word Udapasya means very strongly, Prabhupada sometimes translates it hatefully, rejecting this other type of endeavor that will cause a a sanskar that's not conducive to bhakti. So, to hear submissively from Guru Parampara about all the, the form, the name, the pastimes of Krishna, this is our, our practice. It's like I say, it's very simple. There's no effort, no effort to control the mind. It's about falling in love. That's what it's about. You hear about a person who's so attractive as Krishna, if you properly hear especially from someone who's attracted, who has love for Krishna, then it becomes compelling, you become attracted. 
And when you fall in love with someone, there's no effort. If you're married to someone and you fall in love with someone else, then you're just out the door. There's no effort. You're just going. It's not appropriate, but that's what happens. You just go. You got attracted. You were smitten. Something like that. This is what the path of bhakti is about. Therefore, shravanam, kirtanam, this, is, this results in smaranam, remembering, and these are the main things in our particular sect amongst the angas of bhakti. Shravanam, kirtanam, smaranam. Also sakyam, atmani vedanam. All but these are the three that are emphasized. So here Mahabhava is satisfied. You've said something now that makes sense to me. We're on the same page. Go on from here, and here he will go on from here, and then Dasya Bhakti, Sakya Bhakti, Ratsalya Bhakti, Madhurdi Bhakti, Within Madhurdi Bhakti, Radha's Bhakti, and so on and so forth. Any question? Yes. Earlier, when you were speaking about children and rules, it almost sounded like that the children really can't love. You know, in a sense, like, you know, you were saying, like, of course, you know, the parents are giving rules and the kids are following the rules. But I think if you ask the child, they have real love for the parent. At least they would think they have love. So there's love there, but it's not the same as mature love, I guess, what you're trying to say. But can you elaborate a little bit on that? Because it must be love even in the rule stage, some love. Well, perhaps you can because child say that. Because the child does love the parent. I mean, the child does love the parent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But why? <laughs> because the parent is providing. Because if the parent wasn't providing, then... Sometimes even children love parents that are very cruel. Yeah. Anyway, there's some, there's some love in following rules. It's a beginning, no doubt. But it doesn't compare to what the mature love is, which is selfless giving. So we, we know how much the children love the parents when they grow up. <laughs> right? Then we know how much they love them by how much they're willing to help them, support them. and Because at a certain point, of course, the roles change. The parents become children. Yeah, it's time to leave the house. And mom says, no, you can't. You have to tell them. You have to start teaching your parents. So, yeah, I wanted to say that it's a childish conception of God, karma marg, but still it's a conception of God. And there's some sense of if they serve him, it would be good for them. And some love, but not mature love. Something else? You were speaking earlier, and you were saying something about how this sort of rules and regulations sort of, quote, love, that, you know, the Ramanujas or the different sects have, they don't have the fullness <coughs> of, the, uh, of the love that even we, have, we see in the material world. One might argue, I'm not saying that I would argue it, but someone from, let's say, outside the school might say, well, doesn't that mean that you have to really experience, quote, love in the material world even to have a conception of this love of Krishna? Um, well, everybody has that experience. <laughs> it's pretty hard to avoid, isn't it? I've fallen in love. <laughs> so, you can answer like this simply there's two ways of learning by experience or by hearing from those who have experienced. So it's possible one can learn by hearing. And I, I, I fell in love when I was about eight years old, first time, and you know, it didn't work out. So, 
and my mother was the one to, to console me with philosophy, you know, some kind of philosophy. Well, it's not all, you know, there's more to life than, and so on and so forth. So shyly, I learned pretty well from her. You know, it was, it was good. So um, it was never the same <laughs> after that. So you can, uh, you can learn by hearing also. And, you know, to say that you have to experience love and in the material world in order to know what it is. And some people do make that argument about Gaudiya Vaishnavism that it may be conducive and so forth. We don't necessarily have to disagree, but again, the point is, there's no way to be in the material world forever, as long as we have, and not have experienced that to some extent. <laughs> it's an Adi Karma, you've been here forever. That's what makes the whole world go around, the reflection of love, so you have to have some experience of it, at least with your parents or something, right? But you could learn by hearing, so you may make that argument, but there are examples to the contrary also. Someone may make that argument, but it didn't happen to Sukadev, right? Right. right. But so? So the next argument might be like, well, if you emphasize a lot of rules and regulations, that seems to maybe de-emphasize love in the material world. And since they're so similar, love in the material world, at least from the outside, wouldn't it make sense to not to be so restrictive or, uh, or or kind of shy from that sort of love. Someone might say, well, there's so many rules and so many regulations that one's following. It seems to, to detract from learning how to love God. What are those so many rules? Well, in, in people... Well, so many? Mm-hmm. Way of life. What the rules are, are ways in which we've learned that by conducting ourselves, we may attract attention of Krishna. As I've given the example before, if a young girl learns that a young boy that she has a crush on, his favorite color is red, she shows up at the bus stop with a red dress on, conveniently. And so she finds out he likes samosas. She happened to have a couple extra in her bag hmm? at lunch. I'll have a samosa. This is, so these are the, these are the rules. <laughs> This is how we, we, we posture ourselves to attract the attention of, of Krishna. We see these devotees conduct themselves like that, so we want... I, don't, I think there's not so many rules. I think that, that sometimes the devotees have a rule, kind of based, fear-based idea of bhakti, and that, that may be very awkward, and it may bring that kind of reaction, because they may be over-fixated on on rules and thinking it's like a formula just by doing these one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, I get love of Krishna at some point. But no, it doesn't work like that. So that may be a misrepresentation or misunderstanding. It may be Niyamagraha, which is Bhakti Vinash, that will take away Bhakti. You know, just like this Prayash, same thing, Atyahara Prayashascha, Prajalpa Niyamagraha, that will do away with Bhakti. Just like somebody said the other day, what was it about? Uh, I put it on that, that blog about hell. So there's so many, you know, it's mentioned in the fifth canon about all these hells and so forth. And Is there a hell or is there no hell? So I said there's no hell for devotees. So, you know, you, they read the Bhagavatam and they read this and they think there's hell and, and they get caught up in that. But the next chapter, was the next chapter? What follows the descriptions of hell? Anjamil. What's the context? Parikshit says, well, there's all these hells. There's Yama. What are we going to do? There's Yama. How can we save people from Yama? Yama means rules. That's what it means. Rules. 
means Yamaraj, Lord of Hell, because people didn't follow the rules. So how can, how can we be saved from all this? The trouble of following the rules, the result of not following the rules, basically what he's saying. And he says, oh, okay, chit kiblaya bhaktya. Not by gyan, he says, not by karma. He gives examples. In karma marga, and it is like, he says, like the elephant takes bath and rolls in the sand. In gyan marga, it's like cutting bamboo at the top, but the root's still there, it comes up. But ke chit kiblaya bhaktya. By bhakti. Like the sun comes up. <laughs> That's it. If you want to light up the city at night with a fire or something, or as big as you want to make it, not, nothing's going to do it like the sun it comes up of its own accord, of its own time, of its own will, and the darkness is dispelled. And then he tells the story of Ajanyo. Who's saved from Yama? From hell. The hell people come to get him. But they can't, they have no jurisdiction there. Maybe say he broke all the rules. Yeah, that's right. He broke all the rules. But he chanted Krishna Nam. Nama Bhas. And the Vishnu Dutas or something. He belongs to us. There's no hell for devotees. This is the teaching. Then people read it and they say, You're going to go to hell if you don't do this or that. And uh, they're worried. Some, what did somebody say? said? In the context of bhakti, you do this, you're going to go to hell. So there's no, there's no hell for bhakti. What Arjuna broke every rule there was in the book. He never even, he, he never saw hell. This is bhakti. This is the generous teaching. So you know, you can look at it like, well, there's all this fear. You look at it the way the Bhagavatam is actually speaking. You see, well, this is really generous. There's no rules. This is the path to take you beyond rules. Let's take the holy name and name. What's in the name? Yeah. So generous is the name, more generous than the form of the Lord, is the Lord in the form of His name. This is the example. It's a prominent chapter of Bhagavatam. Years and years ago, they asked me at the BBT, Ramaswar, what book should we print in mass? Because they want to do mass printing of certain volumes of the Bhagavatam. So, I said, well, first Kano probably put so many things in there because he thought he might not be amongst us long enough to finish the whole thing, which he wasn't. Of course, he went on beyond the first canto. So I said, first, you do the first three volumes of the f- first canto and do this Ajamil, sixth canto, that section of Bhagavatam. That was my selection. <laughs> tell you, it, it, was, it wasn't going out to tell people everywhere, follow all these rules. You got, no, not like that. And you, you know, you want to make comparison between karma, marg, and bhakti. There's no rules. It's like ridiculous. Karma mark, you got to do, you got to rule how to eat, how to sleep, how to, you know, how to stand up, how to pass urine, how to, how to not do this. How to, it's just like very uh, burdensome. Burd- the, the idea of it, of course, is to just, just, just occupy people in such a way that they have some connection with Bhagavan. And there's, a, you know, the carrot is dangling, you know, to, to help them follow all those rules. But what can you do, you see? You can't follow those rules. You can't follow because you have no faith in karma marg. And faith is the, is, the, is the motor that generates the activities. Faith you are. You are your faith. We've destroyed your faith. Hmm? Probably destroyed your faith in karma marg. You can't follow it. There's no impetus. It's destroyed. And he's awakened faith in bhakti, so. No faith in ganmarg. You can't follow that. So however imperfectly you can follow bhakti, which means to follow your own faith, 
That's what you should do. <laughs> and you're better off than someone perfectly following the karma mark or someone perfectly following the gyan mark. That's the teaching. And then sometimes we teach it in a very different way that makes people go like, well, I'm not going to follow all these rules and shit. it doesn't sound like love. And, well, you follow them, then you'll get love or something. You say like that. And if you don't, you'll go to hell. <laughs> That's it's really actually quite uh, quite well, been, quite generous. There's been some tinge of that, and, and and when you speak it like this, then then you then it's enlightening. Thank you. <laughs> Another question? Yes. I had a little bit of question, kind of along these lines, because you know I was realizing that well, I knew that part was clear that I wasn't following the rules of chanting and and careful with association, the basic things that we all know. And so then I knew I was suffering in, in you know, some way. So then I thought, well, I don't know what else to do, so let me just follow these rules again more carefully. Because I, I didn't feel the love or the connection. So then I started to follow the rules, and then I feel the connection before. But I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what was what's the cause and the effect. What's, do you understand what I'm getting at? Like I, Not I entirely. carefully follow the rules of the association and everything, then I start to feel the love and, you know, there's definitely a, there's definitely a balance. I just want to understand that balance. Yeah, well, um, you know, you, you want to follow. The point being with the rules, I don't know, you know, what rules you're talking about, but like, you know, there are things that you do that if you do them, there won't be conducive to bhakti. And so this is a kind of a mature way to look at it. If you do these things, it won't be conducive to bhakti. So you're going to feel a little alienated, you might not feel so good in the company of others, or, or you can't go and look Krishna in the eye. You can't look at your guru in the eye, even. Like that. Like that. If you, but if you're right, then you can, you can look and look and smile. And still, you may not be able to sometimes. But Bhagavatam teaches that that's all right. If you feel some remorse for your material tendencies that overcome you, that rectifies you. Such is the nature of the path of bhakti. So, maybe if you understand that point, it'll be... What the point is, in one sense, is like, wow, Krishna is really generous. And, and then you become embarrassed. Like, he's so nice and so generous and so kind. I should do it the way he would, you know, properly. It's not out of fear that we should do it, but out of understanding the nature of Krishna makes us want to do it. What was that other thing that we were discussing along these lines? About... We were speaking about how there's really only one rule and... and no, but we, there was someone else who was giving some seminar about something about Krishna... What was it? About the... Krishna, you have... I cannot trust you or something. Oh yeah, if you if you go all the way to to Goloka, the gates of Goloka or something, and you didn't follow all the rules, and then you get there, and Krishna comes and says, "I don't know if I can trust you to let you in here." I mean, you didn't follow the rules. Someone was kind of giving this kind of motivating talk, I guess, to get people to to follow the rules because they should be followed and out of personal honor. This has nothing to do with bhakti. Personal honor. There's just trounce on that. That's like. That's like so opposed 
to bhakti, hmm? to the cultivation of bhakti, I should take pride in my... No, it's not like that. But because Krishna is... It, it's a, it's a, that whole motivation is based on the misunderstanding of what Krishna is like. Krishna's not like that at all. So if you're proceeding with that understanding of what Krishna is like, who are you worshipping? Well, it's not Krishna Bhakti. The understanding is that, is that Krishna is so kind, so generous. He says, even my devotees, the neophytes, they have material desires, they succumb to them. Still, all these things, these kind of statements. And in Bhagavatam, he says that directly. They show some remorse, <coughs> couldn't follow, they feel bad, they wish they could. That corrects them, that in and of itself. So the motive then for serving Krishna is not that, well, if I don't follow this, he might reject me from the spiritual world because he can't trust me. I have to be honorable. No, the whole idea is I, I'm, I'm incapable. Krishna is capable. We think Krishna is merciful. That's my saving grace. That's the whole affair in a nutshell. He's so merciful. Who in their right mind would approach anyone else? You see, this creates like healthy rule following and the right impetus and so forth. And it goes naturally and you don't get all these psychological you know, problems as a result of you know, just what you are. It's a long haul to where, you know, what's being talked about in this, this chapter, Ramananda Sambhad, it's a long, long way. But you're on the path, even though you can't follow that well. So, to be on the path, know what Krishna's like, that's important. Not to give some false idea of what Krishna's like and then motivate us on that basis to follow. Who are you following and where are you going by that? Take pride in, I, in my, what is it? Pride and honor in my, you know, I, I won't break my promise. Bhakti's about breaking promises. That's what it's about. What about that? The Brudge Leela is all about breaking promises. They left their husbands. <laughs> what about that? So you're going to be proud that you, 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 that you, that you, you know. I mean, we should be honorable people and so forth. <laughs> I'm not saying that we, we shouldn't, we should have personal integrity and so on and so forth. But just to develop an ego that just see, I'm, you know, this is like Mariada or something, like, like Ram. We can't hear about Ram. We don't like that. You like that? That Ram, you know, he's a Sita left and, you know, he banished Sita. You like that? We don't like that. Rajabhakas, they don't like that. Why you did that, Krishna, in that form? How could you do that to her? Sita was banished because of dharma, righteousness. See, Vrindavan devotees, they don't like that. They can't read that chapter. They go chastise Krishna for that. Why do you do that? What kind of person are you? That's how gopis can talk to him. What kind of person are you? You did that? Huh? For dharma? What's that? No feeling? <laughs> so, it's a very different idea. It's a funny religion we have here. I'm going to put all these things together because obviously I'm not advocating that you be a dishonorable person or that you don't have personal integrity. In fact, I emphasize that we should have personal integrity, but we should know what Krishna consciousness is theoretically. Then we'll have the motivation to follow it and then we'll get it rather than some other idea. That's why I said it's important to know the sadhya, the goal, at least theoretically, and really know it theoretically. That's important. Or to be really attached at least to somebody that does. That's okay too.
Yeah. Oh, so praying can't arise out of following uh, biting the rules, but at the same time we're recommended to follow Vaidhi Bhakti. Um, so please say something about uh, why. Because that's what we have one may have eligibility for. Of course we don't call it strictly Vaidhi Bhakti. We call it Ajata Ruchi Raghunuga Bhakti. Rag Bhakti without Ruchi. So again, you don't have Ruchi, spontaneous attraction for Krishna or taste for Krishna. But then the rules you follow are the things that will bring Krishna sympathy. You have an idea to attract Krishna, so you, you follow rules that will, uh, will attract him. They keep you from doing other things also. But in and of themselves, no, they won't. The only cause for preem, this brudge preem, is really is good association. Matkripa, it comes from that. Another question? I think that you, you, you can take Rupa Goswami's statement that a little Gyanvaragya may be helpful in the beginning. And Prabhupada's thinking they're all beginning. Well, a little emphasis on this may be, may be useful. Otherwise, who knows what, you know, what they'll think bhakti is. <laughs> they'll become sahajyas or something like that. So. But then you have to take that statement of Rupa Goswami's very seriously and understand it. Then you have the perspective. Otherwise, it just becomes gyan marg rather than bhakti practically. The whole process is it's like you're doing gyan to get bhakti or something like that. Rather it's the other way around. Gyan will come as a result of naturally of bhakti. And you know you, I read the same books. I'm a disciple of Prabhupada too so I have a different perspective on it that, than that. I find that to be like like I say we, we have a the material life runs in the two tracks of gyan and karma, so we come into bhakti with that, and we're going to bring that in with us, and we're going to gravitate towards some kind of karma misra bhakti or gyan misra bhakti conception. That's why you need sadhu to keep bringing you into the center, so that your effort, whatever it may be, little it may be, to hear about Krishna is primary, and that will bring you the result. Anything else? Yes? Well, he didn't leave for the sake of being dharmic. 
or anything like that. He left for the sake of preaching to the fallen souls with her permission. It was a tragedy, no doubt. Vishnupriya's bereavement and so forth. And he told her, in this Leela, we are only meant to cry. So, so some sacrifice. There's two sides to Mahaprabhu, of course. The Yuga Dharma, Avatar, and Rasaraj Mahabhav. So we're teaching Yuga Dharma in the context of which one will get this this kind of bhakti, which is unique to this particular age and descent of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. For that reason, he left with her permission. It's not the same as Ram banishing Sita, who was, you know, for what? Because some creepy guy, you know, was making a rumor that Ram's henpecked, you know, such a small little thing he overheard, and so he banished Sita through the forest. We can't tolerate that. But he studied the verse that describes Mahaprabhu's taking sannyas. What is it? This is, in one sense, is the Radha in Krishna. Krishna is the enjoyer. Radha is the sacrificer. He's moving to Radha's position, from his own position, and exemplifying a life of sacrifice that she exempt- That will endear us. That's very compelling. And running, running after Vrindavan. He's actually running away from, from Vaidhi Mark. You can also see it like that. That's why Siddhanta Sarasvitaka would connect his sannyas with Raghunuga rather than with Gyan Mark. Mayam rigam daita mipsita man Mayam rigam. It's also said to be about Ram. He ran after the mriga, the deer, right? Aranya in the forest. Mayam rigam daita mipsita man what is it? Chaktvasudus Chajusuripsita Raj Lakshmi Dharmishta Arya Bhachasa Yadagad Adanyam. Adanyam. On the curse of the Brahman, Dharmishta Arya Bhachasa Yadagad Adanyam. He went to the forest. Some, I guess he was a Brahman, said Ram was henpecked or something, and so cursed him, I guess. That's the way they interpret it. So he went. It's supposed to be about Ram, but it's about Krishna from our perspective and about Mahaprabhu. And Mayamriga, he went to the forest, means he took sannyas. Chaktvasudus, Chadisarepsitam, Rajlakshmi, Rajlakshmi, he gave up Vishnu Priyadevi. He had everything. Beautiful wife, popularity, young, handsome, learned. He gave it all up, he went to the forest. And Mayamrigam, Doita Ipsita, Anbhadhavada. It also means, like, it speaks about what he was after, what he was pursuing. When you look at it in terms of Krishna, it says, Mayamrigam Daita. Mrigam means like animal, but Maya Mrigam, Maya animal, means like a teddy bear. It's not a real bear, it's a teddy bear. Maya Mrigam Daita. By the influence of Radha, he becomes like a toy animal in her hand. This is what happens to him. <laughs> this is what Mahabhava's sannyas is about. So it's a very different affair than banishing Sita to the forest. So. Srimanam Chaitanya Mahaprabhu ki jai, Guru Vaishnava Guru Parampara ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrindu ki jai, Gaur Premanam Devi.